Sunday in the Park with George is a 1984 musical with music and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim and a book by James Lapine. It was inspired by the French pointillist painter George Seurat and his painting A Sunday Afternoon on the Island of La Grange. The first act revolves around George and his relationship with Dot, who he disrespects and ignores for his art even after she becomes pregnant with his child. The second act follows their great-grandson, also named George, as he grapples with his own art. My guest today is Emily Clark, a theater producer and teacher who runs the YouTube series Stealing Focus. I hope you enjoy our conversation about Sunday in the Park with George. Hello, Emily. How are you doing? Fantastic, Quinn. How are you? I am good. What are we talking about today? We are talking about one of my favorite musicals in the whole wide world, uh, Sunday in the Park with George. So how did this show first enter your life? Okay, so um, when I was uh, a wee little one, uh, my parents, like all good uh, theater kid parents, got me into, uh, into the woods. So I watched uh, the PBS version of Into the Woods, like every day. I was obsessed with it, watched it all the time. And then as I got a little older, my mom kind of kept putting more Sondheim on me and like, oh, try this one out, try that one out. And then eventually, uh, maybe when I was in middle school, uh, she says, you know, you should watch Sunday in the Park with George. It's really good. Um, it's kind of like Into the Woods. It's this PBS uh, version of the stage production. And it has Bernadette Peters in it, who was also in Into the Woods. Um, and a couple other Into the Woods cast members, now that I think about it. Um, and uh, I watched it. And I think I watched it alone. And I wept. And um, it's been one of my favorite musicals ever since. And uh, I, I love the original uh, cast soundtrack. I don't know why this just popped into my head, but when I, I went to an arts high school and I went with a lot of people who would go on to like become famous. And I, I can tell you guys with certainty that Josh Groban loves <laughs> Sunday in the Park with George. <laughs> he used to do a really good Manny Patinkin impression. Oh my gosh. I, I, would, I just had an image of him doing that in my head right now. It was really weird. So uh, yeah, uh, so I, I, I'm a big Sondheim junkie and um uh, it's just, as I've gotten older, it's kind of resonated more and more. This is not one of the Sondheims that I have been more familiar with. I actually had a very similar thing with Into the Woods. My musical theater-loving parents also put the famous Into the Woods in front of me. But this was one that I didn't really know as a kid and only kind of got into in the last couple years as I've gotten to know Sondheim better. You know, my close personal friend. Um, no, but... Uh... Yeah, <laughs> close personal friend to us all. Yeah, that's how I like to feel about it. <laughs> yeah, but it's also it's a such a show that like I was thinking or cuz not there's not like a huge spoiler culture around musicals, but with these kinds of episodes I try to think about like are there any big plot points that I want to make sure like aren't spoiled or aren't only talked about at the end of the episode or something like that. And I was like, is there anything you can even spoil in this show or is it just a concept? <laughs> yeah, it's not about the plot. I mean, there is a a a story, you know, the show it, but it has a Pulitzer for a reason. It's one of the, it was nine, but now we're up to 10 musicals that have won the Pulitzer Prize because um, A Strange Loop just won. But uh, it, it's it's definitely like, a, it's like a, a perfect like Pulitzer musical, I think, <laughs> um, because it is, it's all about like concepts and themes and it's all about the uh, creation of art and the what it takes to be an artist. And I think if you're an artist of any kind, um, it really resonates 
in a way that, um, you know, maybe non-artist folk can, can't connect to. I don't know. Yeah, I rewatched like the full uh, stage version earlier today, and I just watched Mandy Patinkin sing Finishing the Hat, and I cried, and I was like, this is normal. This is a totally normal Tuesday activity. <laughs> It is like without a doubt. Okay, well, it's like the top five, maybe top three songs about the the artist process that I can think of. It's just like the perfect um, the like t- taking the simple idea of creating a hat and making it uh, apply to the creation of anything is uh, astounding. And obviously a real testament to Sondheim. A lot of people say it's his most personal work. um, And I would definitely agree with that. Um, There's a lot of talk about how Sondheim is always very, um, I don't know, he's always like a step removed from everyone else. He's always, you know, he has friends in life, but he also has a lot of mystery about him. You know, there's a lot we don't know about his personal life too. Uh, And he seems like a little step removed because he's always just working on his craft. And um, I think you could see that in um, Georges Seurat or his version of him. And I feel like that also really comes through in sort of where this is placed in the Sondheim canon, because this came after Merrily Roll Roll Along, which was... Big old flop. (laughs) Big old flop. Huge flop, and also deeply, frankly, autobiographical for sort of Sondheim as a person, which he, I think he still to this day refuses to admit, but... um, I know, right? (laughs) It's it's literally about, like, you and your friends writing musicals, and then right after this, you and Hal Prince were like, we're done. Like... Uh Come on. Apparently, like, he was even saying he was going to quit musical theater because Merrily was such a huge flop. And then they were he was convinced to come back to work on this project and inspired by this painting to create this whole work. And sort of in, I think it just makes so much sense that, like, he had this sort of huge artistic failing of, on one level um, and then turned around and just wrote a concept musical about what it means to be an artist and to connect with people. Oh, yeah. I mean, the 70s were like his decade um, with the Prince collaborations. You know, he had back to back to back to back hits um, with uh, this is not going to be an order. Probably. Oh, wait, maybe this is an order. Company, Little Night Music and Sweeney Todd. And Sweeney Todd was like the peak, you know. And then, yeah, Merrily, which um, I love Merrily. I did Merrily like right out of college, which is a great time to do it when you're like young and wide eyed. But um it is it is a tough show and the revamped version that they that off-broadway la jolla version that most everyone does now is way better than that original broadway one uh, but i digress uh <laughs> so it was just like a yeah you're totally right it was like a huge old flop and then it ended the prince sondheim era and then um james lapine came around and um, he says, let's go to the Art Institute of Chicago and get inspired. And um, it goes into that kind of thing that I think the 70s kicked off, which is the idea of like the workshop musical, which like really kind of started with a chorus line, the idea of taking a piece and working on it off Broadway and working on it and shaping it um, until you have a show. Because all they had was really a concept. And then they didn't even have a second act till they went to Broadway. So art is making art. <laughs> I also I so I live in Chicago and for the very first time I ever visited this city I like went to the Art Institute like took a picture of myself by the painting I posted on Instagram with a caption from finishing the hat because that's who I am as a person (laughs) 
dude, like I've been to Chicago once for one day, something like eight hours. And all I did was go to the Art Institute of Chicago and I went to see Sondheim's Bounce, which is a whole other, <laughs> whole other can of worms. What a day. I was, I was such a little Sondheim groupie in college. I still am, but you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's so funny. I, I've heard people like over the years talk about the second act and how people are like, I just did like a musical theater trivia night the other night online and the girl running it was like, I don't get the second act. And that's definitely a place I came from when I was a little bit younger. But then as I've gotten older, as I produce things, and as I uh, kind of have to deal with the art of the schmooze, the putting it together, um, I relate to it more and more. Also, it has some of like the best songs in the show. I was thinking about the second act and it, it is feels almost like a reverse Sondheim where the first act ends, I think, in a really sad place. Mm -hmm. And while it's artistically beautiful, it's really unresolved. Um, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And then the second act actually gives us this more, like, a much better sense of hope and understanding of everything as opposed to the usual Sondheim second act, which is just exists to destroy you emotionally. Yeah, I, I, I think that's really fair. It, um, I like that it stays in the 80s, which makes it more fun, I think, as the show grows older, because it, when they wrote it, it was just, this is the present. And now it's kind of fun to play with the fact that, like, the chromaloom thing is so 80s, um, which I love, you know, beep, 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 all that stuff. Um, I oh, love man. putting it together. Um, I also, in my Sondheim groupie days, I went to the Kennedy Center celebration, uh, Sondheim celebration. It was like in oh three or oh four and i saw that production of sunday in the park with george with raul esparza and melissa erico and then instead of the cardboard cutouts they had these flat screen tvs come down it was very like it was very like that 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 trl no wait not trl that it was very the mtv uh video music awards when nsync performed the <laughs> thing with the tvs and we're dancing i don't know if that that's before your time but some of you out there know what i'm talking about so so it was raul esparza's like face like talking to people as he ran around you know complaining about the art of making arts that was really cool i really liked that wow <laughs> and he was a really good george he was a really great george he was a oh, lot more like now. He was a lot more youthful than mandy patinkin played the character which is crazy because like the character was like in his early 30s when he died. So like, it's weird that Manny Patinkin at times is playing him like this old man. But that's because kind of, that's kind of what Manny Patinkin's thing is. And Rallo Sparza was a lot more like, oh, I get it. I get, I get why she's into this guy. He doesn't, he hasn't like aged 30 years in the past week. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's got a little like spark to him. So that was cool. And then I really got, I was dying to go to London this summer and see the remounting with Jake Gyllenhaal and Annalee Ashford. They were gonna bring the Broadway production to London. Of course, that's not happening anymore. But even just on that Sondheim, did you watch the Sondheim uh, trivia? Yeah, yeah. I couldn't believe them doing Move On. I was like, Jake Gyllenhaal, you make me so angry. He was acting to the balcony beautifully to his little computer camera. It was crazy. Ugh, so good. I wish I could have seen that. For some reason, I always like I learn this over and over again, and my brain cannot hold on to the information that Jake Gyllenhaal is a musical theater performer because because it feels like it, it feels like he should be like one of those movie stars that just like pops on a Broadway once in a while. But I'm like, no, 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 he's like really here. Yeah, he, he did that um, concert 
re concert version of Little Shop of Horrors, like maybe a decade ago. And they had Ellen Green play Audrey again, because of course, and I, there's like bootleg footage of it online and it's so good. Like it, you're kind of just like, yep, I buy it. They're got 30 year age gap. I totally buy that. You guys are singing Suddenly Seymour. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. He's really good. <sighs> yeah. Well, maybe again, one day that'll happen again, but I yeah. know, I know one of these days. Yeah. At least we have the recordings and a full cast album of that cast. So that's nice too. Mm-hmm. Okay, I feel like we we have just like done a full overview of like a ton of different <laughs> themes in this without yeah. going too far in depth. So <laughs> I want to circle back a little bit. I feel like most of like so much of the central theme is about like artistic pursuits um, and like the art the artist capital A artist. Mm-hmm. But before getting too far into that, I want to talk about the more family aspects of the show that I think are more understated, but like so essential to everything that it is. Mm. Cause you have the relationship between George and dot, obviously at the center of everything, but then also George and his mother and also George and dot and their child who George refuses to acknowledge. Um, and it feels like there's a lot of conversation about parenthood um, that is, it, it almost works because it is like so secondary to the conversation of the artist, which obviously like is in itself a thematic messaging about the way that George slash Sondheim pushed away family for his art. Oh, and, and, and Sondheim has major mommy issues. Like his mom was a mess and they had a very strained relationship. Like she was like some, She's like the the like 1920s New York equivalent of like a real housewife. Like she was just like super, I don't know. She like didn't really give a shit about him. And she was kind of just really into herself. And, you know, uh, so he does. Yeah. And the mission statement of the show or one of the mission statements, you're right, is like the only things worth leaving behind in this world are children and art. And um, Sondheim doesn't have any kids, obviously, but, you know, he has a lot of art. So it's it's interesting because there is a there is I guess when you come right down to it, those are the legacies we leave in this world. Um, It's (laughs) it's your kids or your art uh, and nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) No one has any friends. (laughs) No one, no one, no one. Um, Yeah, the the stuff with um, Marie in the second act is so poignant um and uh children and art is such a crazy good song um and it's i love it because it's one of those uh i love sondheim because like you sometimes are there to get belty notes but that's not why you're there you're there for like the storytelling and the character development so a lot of his songs while emotionally fulfilling don't necessarily end on a you know, um, <laughs> uh, although some do, oh, it's more like rise, rise. And yet you're still like crying and weeping the same way. And that's why I think children and art is such a cool song. Cause it's your leading lady playing a 90 year old who can barely squeak out a word. And it's just so fascinating too, to see how different actresses kind of portray that part as well. I don't understand what it was, but mama, the things that he does. Twinkle and shimmer and buzz. It's, yeah, the familial relationships are all over it, too, because there's also other familial relationships in the show outside of them, right? There's the the museum couple, the other artists. Oh, Jules! Jules! And oh, uh, yeah. 
and Yvonne, they're fun. And then um, there's that other kid, the little bratty girl, I want my glasses running around. Mm-hmm. It's all of the little sort of one-dimensional people that run around the whole story that George is like throwing at paintings. Yeah, I love seeing, I love thinking about why that certain actors play someone in the first act and then another character in the second act and see like, what is it they have in common or what they don't have in common at all. Like, I think one of the best double act castings is the fact that um, like in the original version, uh, the woman who plays George's mother plays the critic in the second act. And she's like, she's like, you're a talented guy, but you could do better. She's giving him this nudge and all these, this other side of that maternal um, guidance. Whereas in the first act, she's like all over the place and she can't really remember. And their one connecting moment is, uh, where she's looking out, uh, what's that song called? Uh, changing, it keeps changing. Beautiful, that's what it's called. So it's interesting. It's like two sides of the same mom coin, almost. <laughs> two sides of the same mom coin. <laughs> you know, mom coins, they're all the rage. <laughs> I think this show is very good, but I can understand why some people are frustrated with parts of it because uh, there is like... I feel like there's a very sort of central, very well articulated story between a few different characters. And then there's all these other people running around. And there is a a way to look at it where you're like, what are these people even doing here? What are they all talking about? Like, why do we keep having these different cutscenes with these other characters and like showing their relationships between each other Mm -hmm. when it doesn't matter to this, to like the plot? Um, which it really doesn't. I guess it's so that you care when they all come together at the end of the first act and make the painting, I suppose. Because then you would be like, who are these people? Why do I care that they're in the painting? Um, yeah. But I, I get what you're saying. I, I can totally see, you know, when I mention that it's like one of my favorite musicals and someone else goes, oh, it's one of my least favorite. I go, <laughs> fair, fair. I under I understand it. Like, I get it. It's It's a lot. And there's a lot of, introspection and there's a lot of digging you have to do and it's true there is a lot of stuff that's seemingly like why is this here um but on the other hand like I don't know I guess you could make that point about a lot of musicals or a lot of side characters and they're not really there to well it's weird there's not really a plot so they don't really add to like the plot but they make they're making points like the fact that like George isn't really accepted by the artistic establishment, which in the second act, he's got the same people like, um, uh, Cinderella's Prince. What's his name? Um, Robert Westenberg. I think he played, uh, he played Cinderella's Prince in the original cast. Yes. And he is like the soldier in Sunday in the park with George. Cause I, just the stuff that's in here. Um, and like Jack's mother, Jack's mother, she's in it too. Um, and in the second act, he's like his rival who's like jealous of, uh, how successful he is. Um, so there's, there's points being made, but yeah, it, it, it can, it can take some required viewings. Um, but you know, I, I mean, if you and I both watched it the first time, I can remember watching it the first time and like being like overwhelmed kind of by, the emotion of it all, maybe not even understanding everything that's going on. I certainly didn't the first time I saw it. Um, oh, no, absolutely not. 
<laughs> but it just gets richer as I get older. You know, I produce a lot of theater out here in LA and um, it, I always feel putting it together in my soul anytime I have to go. Like right now, we would be rehearsing for the Hollywood Fringe Festival, which isn't happening this year, but I love producing shows for it. But on the other hand, I hate the networking. I hate it so much. I'm really, really bad at it. So every time I'm in those situations of being in this like mixer party with all these other people with their show postcards and I'm like, <laughs> okay, uh, you got it bit by bit, putting it together. That's, that's kind of where I feel that in my soul. Bit by bit, putting it together. Family is all you have. Piece by piece, only way to make a work of art. Every moment makes a contribution. Every little detail plays a part. Having oh my gosh, yeah. <sighs> I, and I think that maybe I think you touched on this earlier, but that might be why part of this sometimes the show doesn't land with people is that it is a very specific artistry focus kind of thing where not as much as some other stuff that Sondheim has done, but it um, I think it does definitely come across like that, which I feel like can explain. Well, I don't know. I Broadway just loves so much to reward shows that just talk about the theater and oh, like. Oh, of course, Hollywood does the same Broadway. thing. Oh my god, it's so Hollywood much. and Broadway—they love it. They love that stuff for sure because it's your community and you like everyone there goes. Ha, 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 I get it. So you're right, but it <laughs> see is, also it, La La Land. See also but. La La Land, one hundred percent. Like, uh, but this. It's interesting because it, it, it's almost more universal in that it's about a really famous painting that everyone, even if they don't know who painted it, they know that painting. So, um, and it's like really great for, um, what do you, it's the pointillism, the um, impressionist, that's it. It's like really good for like baby's first impressionism painting. You know, this is how they kind of made things different. And, yeah, I feel like um, everyone in third grade art class like so, look, was shown a picture of his painting and be like, you may not know, but it's all tiny dots. And then we all just like have that, have it in our brains somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it, it is more universal in that way where like if he had made it more like Merrily, where it's about let's put on a show, like we're people writing theater and isn't making theater hard, which Merrily makes a lot of the same points. It even has the putting it together scenes, you know, um, so so in that way, maybe it's a little more universal, but then you're like the structure of it all, the kind of nebulousness of it, the, um, the fact that the second act starts with everyone in the painting singing about how annoyed they are to be frozen in the painting, which has nothing to do with what we saw before, but it's still like really funny. And it's a nice release, I think, for the audience too, because they don't get to laugh very much in the show. Yeah. <laughs> But the first act, I mean, the, the the song Sunday, like I just hear those opening notes that they sing and I just, uh, I, it's like an Insta cry song for me. Oh yeah, the, the music style of this show is beautiful because it's very minimalist. It's a lot of the same things over and over and over again, but they're first of all, very well-written series of things over and over again, <laughs> so that works. And then they layer on top of each other as the show goes on in a really effective way. Oh yeah, he has the music that sounds like pointillism, right? And then yeah, layering in these little themes. Um, and then I love how the end of the first act has, they're all holding out Sunday. And then they play these like chords and they all sound super crunchy and dissonant. It's like, blah, blah, blah. and then it's just nothing. 
bing, ba ba, resolve, like talking about that, I'm getting goosebumps right now. Um, <laughs> because it's so great to have the dissonant notes going to a resolution. Um, like the end of West Side Story does something really similar. It's like these minor dirges and then right at the very last minute, Bernstein makes it go to major. So you get that little lift of hope. Um, that's what it kind of reminds me of. Um, yeah, the music is insanely good in this show. I also, while we before we get too far away from Merrily, I just want to read this line from the original New York Times review of the first production, which is, but unlike the last Sondheim show, Merrily We Roll Along, this one is usually, usually not a whiny complaint about how hard it is to be a misunderstood, underappreciated genius. <laughs> that, that made me laugh out loud when I read it today. <laughs> It's so true, though. Like, it really is. It's like the, the main character, everyone's like, you're a genius, like the whole time. Yeah, this show is more like, you're not a genius. And then in retrospect, they're like, oh, we actually didn't appreciate you. So it's, it's got, I like it's, it clarifies usually, like there is a little bit of that. But I think, yeah. but I think that you're right in your point of like, it is also more separate from the direct theaters um, yeah. setting and also is is more relatable to people because it's about a subject that more people know. Yeah, and um, it's, uh, I guess, nebulous enough that you can make it relate to anything that you uh, create, <laughs> for lack of a better term. And then, um, oh, shoot, I just had a thought and it flew away from me. Oh, uh, going back to what you were just saying, uh, there are there are moments in the show, a lot of the first act is them going, you need to, they keep saying, connect, George, connect. And he's saying it to himself, like, you have to put this painting together. And they're like, you need to have a freaking human connection, you loon. Like, like stop drawing people obsessively and have a conversation. Take your girlfriend to the follies. Yeah. So. <laughs> and the second act, he has to do too much of that. All he does is schmooze, and now he's, like, feeling uh, stagnant, and he's lost his creative spark. So I think these are all little things that even if you're not – if you are a, an artist of any kind, even if you're not like that your whole life, there's probably moments in your life when you can relate to those moments. Yeah, and I think that humans are so essentially creative, um, and, like, I think – that the messages that this speaks about, even if you're not a professional artist, um, and even if you're not doing anything like, uh, like the formal art world per se, I think that the it's far more relatable and just discussing this like dedication to your work versus dedication to the people in your life. Because I also think that this is something that society as a whole, like has such an idolation of the lone genius of the like mm, mm -hmm. dedicated person who just like is so committed to their work and produces these masterpieces and we like hold that person on such a pedestal and we encourage people to become that person in a way that is like obviously deeply unhealthy because that's even uh, <laughs> this is hard for me to even talk about because sometimes I'm in this place where like I listen to a song like finishing the hat and I'm like well all I want is to be that that lone genius who doesn't need anybody. <laughs> and then yeah. when I'm uh, not in that place where I'm like, no, 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 the message of this song and of the show is that you need to connect with people. Yeah. And, and he, you know, it's romanticized too, because he died so young, yeah. you know, he died at like 31, Surat did. Um, and it's that whole impressionist group thing. You know, I, I think it took, 
I think they even say it in the show, maybe. Maybe I'm thinking of something else. Like, I think they didn't, like, his painting, like, didn't get much love for a really long time. And then all of a sudden, everyone decided it was genius. Or um, his methods were taken on by other people. Um, it's so funny. I did this I did this show out here in L.A. a couple years ago called The Art Couple. And it was a parody of The Odd Couple, but with, with uh, impressionist painters because... <laughs> The guy who wrote the show found out that, oh, who was it? it? Okay, so it was like Van Gogh, and I can't remember the other painter. It was another painter who was not as famous as him, um, who ended up like living together for a while, like the odd couple. Um, and so the opening scene was a parody of the poker scene from the original odd couple, but it was uh, a bunch of artists from that era, uh, including like Rodan, like I had to play Rodan. So I was like, I have this crazy beard and it's crazy, but George Surratt was there and they, he wrote him like a total jackass. And I think at the end of the scene, he's like, I'm never going to die. I'm going to live forever. Something stupid like that. Um, and the whole time I was just like, this is just another interpretation or glorification of this freaking guy who we don't really know much about. Because yeah. he died so young, but we we're glorifying him like crazy. So, I don't know, tangents. Yeah, I, I mean, we haven't even really mentioned this, but this show is completely fictional. Like, this is not actually based. Besides the fact that he did die at thirty-one and like did do these paintings, there's very little connection to this man's actual life. Yeah, yeah, and Dot Dot was inspired by a different painting of his. There's this woman who's like powdering herself. Um, and so that was the inspiration for the character, and that's why she's doing that little during uh, color and light. That's why she's powdering her nose and in that corset. Yeah, it's like all of the characters and ideas for the story came from the paintings rather than actual historical events, which I, I mean, I guess like it, it doesn't have to be actually based on the man's life, but I, I don't think that people really think it is either. But it is funny, like there are a lot of shows that are sort of historically based on figures. Um, and then you're like, oh, well, let's find out what is historically true and what isn't and what their interpretation. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, 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 this they just made this up. Um, they just like these paintings. Yeah, yeah. And, and you don't need it. Like you really, y- y- other than it being named after the same guy and like being about this painting that he did, like, it's, it's not really about, I guess the, the stuff they touch on, I guess that he, that the other artists didn't really accept his work and that they saw him as kind of beneath them. That's covered at least. That's true, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They do that song where they're in the, looking at it. It has no presence. Oh yeah, no life. That's what the song is. Yeah, and like, it's interesting. And, and he's such an outcast and they write all these scenes where he's just seen as, like a crazy person. They're like, why are you hanging out with the crazy boatman? Why are you just sitting there painting people? I don't know if that's something that was pulled from real life at all. It'd be interesting to look into. It kind of comes across like they read an encyclopedia article about him. And then there was like a couple sentences that mentioned like he wasn't, he didn't sell a painting in his life and he wasn't really accepted by the wider art world. And they like highlighted a couple of sentences and they're like, this is enough. This is enough. Let's do our own thing now and let's figure it out. And you know, like all the great Pulitzer Prize winning musicals, it got its start at Playwright Horizon, Playwrights Horizon, say it right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is also a fun aspect of this show is that it won barely any Tony Awards. I don't only won a couple of awards for its design work and then it won the Pulitzer. It lost best score to La Caja Folk. And then when Jerry Herman got up there, he put, he threw a little shade. He was like, 
there's been this rumor on Broadway for years that the good old fashioned singable musical is dead. <laughs> well, I'm here to tell you it's alive and well. And it's like, dude, there's a whole song in Merrily We Roll Along where the agent is like, there's not a tune you can hum because he's making fun uh-huh. on because that was what everyone said. It is shady. And no shade to La Caja Full, like that's a great show. But like to me, Sunday on the Park with George's score, if it was going to win any Tony Awards, I feel like score is what it should have won. But that's just me being petty. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's I, I have a couple of like Tony Award decisions that live in my brain as incorrect. Ooh, ooh, um, like what else? <laughs> the two main ones. Was, the two main. The other one is, of course, uh, Fan of the Opera winning over <laughs> into the woods. That's so stupid. That's that blows my mind every time I remember. Longest running show on Broadway, which is ironic considering how much like the critics, like no matter how well Andrew Lloyd Webber shows do, they always do well. But like the critics don't necessarily always like his stuff, which is crazy that that show, I guess it just had all the money going behind it and probably had a big campaign. That's true. Yeah. I just What's like, the especially- other one? What's the other one? <laughs> <laughs> the, the other one is like much more recent and personal to me, which is that uh, Dear Evan Hansen won best score over Come From Away in 2017. Oh, yeah. Sorry, folks. I don't like Dear Evan Hansen. I can't roll with it. That's fine. Dear Evan Hansen one of those like, I do like the show, but I also see the problems with it. And I also just like in no universe does it deserve to win best score over Come From Away, my favorite musical that has one of the best scores, I believe, ever. Ugh. <laughs> uh. This is okay. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Awards are meaningless. They're stupid. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> uh, returning to Sondheim. Uh, <laughs> but no, but I just think it's so funny that even because there's like some shows that are like do commercially well, but not uh, critically or re- vice versa. But the combination of not winning barely any Tony Awards, but winning the Pulitzer Prize is such a dichotomy. Yeah, it, it is interesting to think about. I'm trying to think back on. Yeah, Chorus Line won everything. Uh, Rent won everything. Hamilton won everything. Did Next to Normal win Best Musical? It did, didn't it? I think so. Yeah, South Pacific, How to Succeed. Yeah, I think you might be on to something there. Up until now, with A Strange Loop, but A Strange Loop isn't going anywhere because of the world, not because it necessarily wouldn't get like a Broadway run or something. Yeah, I mean, I still like believe in my heart all things other things that hopefully it'll be on Broadway next year but we'll get uh, back to theater again someday someday but yeah I don't and I don't necessarily see why Sunday did not win any other Tony Awards but I can see like why it was so uh why it was chosen for that honor for the Pulitzer because I of the things that we've talked about and sort of like the conceptual issues that it explores and I do think like a very nuanced and effective way. Um, and so I can see why that was rewarded. Yeah. And the Pulitzer, when it comes right down to it, isn't about the production. It's about the written word. Um, it's about the text of it. And I think when you look at compared to other Broadway shows around that time, like looking purely from a textual standpoint, it's on a whole other level. We are getting close to lightning round time. So I wanted to ask if there are things that we haven't talked about yet that we want to make sure we do. Should we talk about like like the cast or anything Bernadette Peters and Mandy Patinkin original Broadway cast because I die I die they are perfect they're perfect um 
they're perfect. And like, I love that Manny Patinkin is just insane. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like the best thing about him. He's just always been this crazy person. I went to this concert he did out here this year and it was a weird concert, okay? <clears throat> it was mostly weird songs that he had like written that I'd never heard of that were really like sad and slow. And I'm just like, uh. but like he started the show with you got trouble from the music man. So I was like, here we go, here we go. <laughs> and you know, I'm in the balcony going, oh, we got trouble, you know, it was great. And then he does all these boring songs and I was like, oh, okay, this is how it's gonna be. And then he ended the show singing Move On and I, like by himself, singing both parts and I just, when, when Mandy Patinkin sings and the feeling, It's, I don't even think I've heard any person sing it the same way and have me feel the same way. I don't know. It's crazy. It's to totally insane. <laughs> I mean, just both Mandy Patinkin and Bernadette Peters at the Sondheim 90th concert, uh, 90th birthday concert <laughs> that we referenced before, they both chose to do like acapella, which no one the else did. only ones who did acapella. I want this story behind, did they text each other? Like, how did this happen? I read I read the big article they wrote about it. Um, I, you know, Mandy just got like a Twitter and like the cutest thing about his Twitter is his son is filming him and his wife. Like he and his wife have been married for like over 40 years um, and they don't know anything about like the interwebs and like, it's really cute. Like they're just like, what does that mean? I don't know. So I feel like it, that's the vibe it gave me. Like, he's like, I'm walking my dog. Can I just do lesson number eight? Sure, just, just film me, honey. It's gonna be fine. And then um, I heard that Burnett Peters just sent it in and they kind of just went, you know what, let's just not fuck with it. Let's not <laughs> ask her to <laughs> change it or do anything. So, I mean, you got to just let the legends legend. You can't be like, no, we're not going to accept this. Um, oh, and I think Mandy was like, I want to be in a park. I'm singing Sunday in the park. So I'm here. It is literally Sunday in the park with George. <laughs> I know. I know. I love them. I love, there's so much, um, the original cast had a lot of like really fun actors that were um, <clears throat> like a bunch of Manny, not Mandy, uh, a bunch of like Sondheim regulars, like uh, three of the original cast members would do Into, uh, no, four, four of the original cast members would do Into the Woods. There's Burnett Peters, there's Barbara Brin, who is uh, Jack's mother, there's Robert Westenberg, and then she's not on the video, uh, but she's on the original recording is Danielle Furland, who was Little Red Riding Hood. She was the little girl. I want my glasses. This cast is huge. I mean, it's not because it doesn't. <laughs> There's shows with much, much larger casts, but it just like because there isn't. Um, it's not like you have an ensemble that's just like an unnamed group of people. It's like every person like characters. has these little bits. Yeah. yeah. So it just I feel like it, it feels even though that. There's never any, there's not, it's not like ragtime, but um, it just feels like there's so many people running around. Yeah, it, it's, it's like, um, it's almost like company in the, in the same way where it's just like slice of life. It's like, these are just people and their moments in their lives. And George is kind of witnessing them and it's inspiring his painting. And on that note, uh, let's head over to the lightning round. Woo! Oh my God. So. 
What is your favorite song in Sunday in the Park with George? I think um, I think it's Move On. It it's my it makes me cry every time I hear it. Um, I love the message of it. it. It's very one of those songs where on the surface you think it means one thing, but then as you get more into the lyrics, you you realize it's about something else. Absolutely, as all the best ones are. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite line in the show? Um, I think. I think it's in move on um, and uh, kind of ties into that is the uh, people think it's like, Oh, just move on. Um, and <laughs> we got to move on from each other. Just move on for this. And it's more like stopping, stopping worrying what people that's I'm saying this horribly. Uh, it's about how do you stop people from worrying about what you, how can I say this in a better way? Don't care what people think of you. There you go. Um, and <laughs> create your art. So she says, stop worrying if your vision is new. Let others make that decision. They usually do. You keep moving on, um, which is something I really relate to. What are people thinking of me? What do people think of this thing that I'm bringing up? Um, and I, uh, yeah, it makes me cry. It's like, you know what? They're, people are going to do what they're going to do. So you just sing your song and move on with life. Aww. There we go. I eventually got it all spit out there. <laughs> no, very well said. Yeah, well, thank you. <laughs> Who is your favorite character? It's probably Dot. Yeah. Slash Marie. I, I, she's just such a great, I don't know. She's just such a great character. She's such a nuanced female role. Um, she's uh, really funny, uh, but also really touching. And, um, and I like seeing her morph into uh, Marie in the second act. And if you were going to play a character, who would you want to play? I play Dot, baby. That's who I want to play. <laughs> That's <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's funny. When I was younger, I was like, I could never do this. And now, as I've gotten older, I was like, Why have I played this role yet? I'm like, This is my time. <laughs> I'm telling you, like, I've been waiting for middle age or you know my late 30s at least, just so I could start getting the really good Sondheim roles. And now we're in a quarantine. So. Uh, well, this is the time to practice for them, and then. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Who would you recommend uh, go see this show? Or since there is a recorded version, watch that. I think if you're like a teen theater kid who doesn't have, who A, doesn't have much of a creative outlet at their school, or B, is just kind of discovering the art of making art for themselves. Like if, if, if you've got a kid who's outgrown the music man and um, <clears throat> rent, you know, and, and they're looking for something deeper. I think if you've got like a 14 or 15, 15 year old, uh, you know, they've gotten their starter Sondheim, they've gotten into the woods and now they're looking for something a little juicier and deeper that they can handle. Then I think this is a great recommendation um, to kind of start their journey. If you're a musical theater person over the age of 25, this should be required viewing. <laughs> Like, even if you hate it, you have to see it at least once and form some opinions about it because um, that's a big part of the show is being able to look at art and decide whether it's good or not or what you like about it or not. I think it's perfect. But again, we've gone over that about how <laughs> I totally get if someone doesn't like or get this show. No, it's a very good point about 
like being able to form opinions about it is one of the big points of the show. Mm-hmm. And finally, if you could combine this show with another one, which would you pick and why? I think it's fairly obvious considering the title and the lead actor, it should be Tell Me on a Sunday in the Park with George. All right. <laughs> Plus that's Andrew Lloyd Webber. So you have Tell Me on a Sunday with Bernadette Peters, one woman musical that Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote. God awful lyrics. But um, <laughs> Tell Me on a Sunday has really bad lyrics. I'm sorry, people. But it's also just the perfect title. Also, I just always love, like, they have the same birthday. I just love the idea of mushing up these two completely different types of composers. Like, almost the quintessential American musical theater composer and definitely the quintessential British musical theater composer. <laughs> Pushing those together and seeing what that's like. And then you just have Bernadette Peters there. So I think it works. Tell me on a Sunday with a Sunday in the park with George. Tell me on a Sunday in the park with George. I love it. <laughs> Someone with a lot of time on their hands right now. Get on that. Yeah. Okay. I will. Um. <laughs> Thank you so much, Emily. This has been a delight. This has been so much fun. I love talking about Sondheim for an hour. <laughs> One of my primary hobbies these days. Thank you for listening to this episode of Corner of the Sky. You can find us online at theincomparable.com slash COTS or follow us on Twitter at COTS Podcast. You can find Emily on Twitter or Instagram at Emily A.B. Clark or her YouTube series Stealing Focus on the channel Emily Clark. See you next week.